The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you do. I want to invite you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel. Book of 1 Samuel. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Lewis is back there ready to pass out a Bible. Does anybody need a Bible? Just raise your hand up in the air. We'll get you a Bible. Lewis, I don't see anybody raising their hand, so thank you very much for your service. If you're using, if you did grab one of those Bibles on your way in, you'll find 1 Samuel page 273, I believe is where it's at, um, on those red Bibles. Let me find out where it's at in my Bible. I guess it'll be a good place to start. There we go. <clears throat> I titled this morning's message, From Donkeys to Kings. So let me start by asking you this question. Why are you here this morning? I mean, why are you here instead of someplace else? You could have chosen to listen to the live stream from the comfort of your living room. Uh, By all appearances, it's going to be a beautiful fall day, and so you could have chosen to do some kind of outdoor activity, maybe play golf, go hiking, go to one of our state parks. Or you could have just simply chosen to sleep in this morning. But you're here. You've chosen to be here. Any number of dozens of choices you could have made, but you've chosen to be here. Why? Maybe you chose to be here out of tradition. Your family's tradition means that on Sunday mornings, there's only one place to be, and that's to be in church. And so you're here out of tradition. Or... Maybe you made the choice to be here out of a sense of obligation. You know, a loved one kind of expects you to be here, and so you dare not disappoint that loved one, and so you're here because you don't want to disappoint that loved one. Or maybe you yourself, you feel some type of sense of duty. You have Sunday morning responsibilities here at the church. You're on the praise team, or you work in children's ministry, or you help run the AV system, whatever. Duty calls, and so you're here. Or maybe somebody invited you to come and you came. And so praise God. Thank you for being here on an invitation. Finally, maybe you're here out of a sense of guilt. You know, you believe for yourself that it would be a matter of sin not to be here unless you are providentially hindered from being here. And so because you don't want to be guilty, you're here. Now, please don't misunderstand this introduction. I am very glad you made the choice to be here this morning. And whatever the reason is, I'm glad you're here. But we still really haven't gotten behind the reason we're here. We haven't gotten to the root of why we're here this morning. Because I I do believe that there's one overarching reason that we're all here today. You see, I believe that ultimately... We're all here today because the sovereign God of creation is working out His plan in our lives. And part of that plan for this sovereign God is us being here today. 
Now, I'm not suggesting at all that we're just puppets in God's plan. I'm not saying that God, if you will, figuratively speaking, dragged us kicking and screaming into the service day, even though we didn't really want to be here in the first place. That's not at all what I'm saying. I truly believe that in as much as it was up to us to be here, that we made, we made a conscious decision. Yes, I'm going to get up. Yes, I'm going to get dressed. Yes, I'm going to show up to church. Now, different factors may have influenced our decision, but we've all chosen to be here. But in our choice to be here, God is sovereignly working out His plan in our lives. Now, I mention all that because in our text today, we're going to see what appears at times to be random events happening on the local stage of life in ancient Israel. But I want us to know that what's happening here is, and I, I believe the author of 1 Samuel wants us to know what's happening here is God is using all of these seemingly random events to sovereignly work out His plan. And so we're going to hear now from 1 Samuel chapter 9. If you're there, say Amen. Um, it's a longer passage today. We're going to read all of chapter 9 and the first half of chapter 10. Um, so I just want to encourage you to follow along as, as I read. Have your Bible open in front of you, your app open in front of you, so you can follow along as I read. It makes it easier to grab the, the text as you're doing that. So let me read. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zerar, the son of Bacorah, son of Aphiah a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to, his, to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And as he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the line of Shaliashah, but did not find them. And they passed through the land of Salim, but they were not there. And they passed through the line of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he, that is the servant, but he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city. And he is a man who is held in honor. And all that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring this man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet, formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He, is just, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes. 
since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen him, for excuse me, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is it not my clan, the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a piece of the, excuse me, a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and, what was on it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called Saul on the roof, Up, and I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you over to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you were to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from, from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. 
After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. When the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he had turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Saul Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for this time together. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray now in the hearing that you would enable me to to give a good sense, a good explanation of what's happening here. Not only so that we can know what happened some 3,000 years ago, but that we might know how this applies even to our lives. How our lives are to be different because of what happened here in this text. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to do this morning, uh, what, what I did last week, is I'm going to walk us through the text, explain the text as we go along, um, and then I'm going to have six points of application at the end. But for those of you who are note-takers, if you'd like to take notes, my central idea that I want you to understand today is God is sovereignly working out His plan. Okay, God is sovereignly working out His plan. Our text today begins there in chapter one of chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter nine, verse one. Begins today by giving us the family tree of Saul. This is, of course, the man who is ultimately going to become the king of Israel. Sometimes when we get to family trees and like, we might read over those as ah, that's not really that important. But I, I don't want us to do that. There, there are important factors in this family tree that we need to see. First, for example. We, we learn that Saul is the son of Kish. And Kish is a man of great wealth. That means that Saul himself is already coming. Before he ever becomes king, he's already coming from a, great, from a place of great privilege. Second, we learn that Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. And as he says so himself, the tribe of Benjamin is one of the smaller tribes in Israel. But third, and I think most importantly here in this introduction, we're told that 
Saul was a handsome young man. More, more literally, the Hebrew might be read there that Saul was a fine young man or a good young man. If you read from the NIV, for example, the NIV translates that Saul was an impressive young man. And so there's some debate about whether this is a character quality of Saul, that he's impressive, or is it describing his physical appearance? But there are, there's no debate at all that the final character trait that we have is indeed a physical trait. We're told that he was, his shoulders, from his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. And so we're given this largely physical description of Saul, not, not a spiritual description, not, not a uh, character description. And as I argued last week, a man's character is definitive on his leadership ability. But here we're giving a physical description of Saul. That will, of course, come into play later on when we see Saul's many failures later in his life. But after this brief bio, beginning in verse 3, uh, we're told that Kish, again, that's Saul's dad, Kish had lost some of his donkeys. His donkeys had gone missing. Now, you might wonder, okay, we know he's a man of wealth, and so who cares if a few donkeys go missing? But probably the reason he's a man of wealth is because he cared about his donkeys going missing, right? I mean, he, he knew about his, the state of his flock, he, and he didn't just let his donkeys go anywhere they wanted to go. And so he asked his son, Saul, and one of his servants to go, go find the donkeys and bring them back. And so off they go. They go through the hill country of Ephraim. They're trying to find these donkeys. Hours turn into days as they're looking for these donkeys. And Saul is growing weary of looking for the donkeys. And so he suggests, you know, maybe it's time that we turn around, that we go back. Dad might be getting worried. The servant, however, he knows that there's a man of God nearby, a prophet, he says. And he suggests that the two of them, let's go ask the prophet where we might find the donkeys. Now, Saul, he likes the idea of... Um, of going to the prophet, but he's a little bit worried that he doesn't have a customary gift to give to the prophets. And so the young man tells Saul, well, he says, you know, just so happens I have a little bit of silver on me and we can use this silver to give to the, to the prophet. And so the two of them head off to the prophet. And as they're making their way into the hill city, I'm in verse 11 now of chapter 9, if you're tracking with me, um, they see some young women. They're coming out of the city. They're, they're headed down the hill to fetch water. And they asked these young women, you know, hey, we're, we're looking for the prophet. We're looking for the seer. And they say, no worries, he's just ahead of you. If you make your way into the city, you'll find him. Now, unbeknownst to Saul at this time and to the young man, the prophet, Samuel, he's just heard 24 hours early, he's just heard from the Lord that he should expect to find a young man from Benjamin, from the tribe of Benjamin, to show up. And the Lord told Samuel to anoint this man. This, when this man shows up, I want you to anoint this man to be a prince or to be a leader over the people. And then when Samuel actually lays eyes on Saul, the Lord basically said, you know, hey, he's the one. This is the dude that I want you to lay, lay, eyes, lay your hands on. Now, for us, it's important that we realize that Saul has never met Samuel at this point. And from the story, we might even gather that Saul didn't even know who Samuel was. After all, it was the young man who told Saul, hey, I know a prophet in this area. So, so when Saul walks up to Samuel and he asks for directions to the house, Saul's, you know, he doesn't know that he's actually asking the guy, you know, basically, where's your house? He, he doesn't understand that he's doing that. And so Samuel, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, says, you don't, you don't need directions to, to my house because I'm the guy, I'm the dude you're looking for. 
Now remember, this is, again, this is the first time they're meeting. And so to show his prophet credentials, if you will, Samuel tells Saul that whatever's on his mind, anything on your mind, I'll answer it for you. And by the way, you know those donkeys that you were looking for that went missing three days ago? They've already been found. Now that's a bit strange, right? If you never met this guy and all of a sudden, how did he even know I was looking for donkeys? I mean, so Samuel says this then in verse 20 to Saul. This is important. Look at this in your Bible. Verse 20, he says, And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? Now, if we lift that one verse out of context, it might leave us scratching our heads like, what in the world? What is he saying there? Even if we read it in the context, frankly, of today's passage, we might be left wondering, what is exactly, what is he trying to say there? But if we take it in the context of not only this week, but what we saw last week and that the people are, are looking for a king, then it begins to make a little more sense. And I, I really like the way the New Living Translation, uh, which is more of a paraphrase of the Bible, but I really like the way they get at this verse. Verse 20 in the New Living Translation says this. Saul says, or excuse me, Samuel says to Saul, I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hope. Now, now those words, all of a sudden, they begin to make sense. Samuel saying to Saul, you know, Israel's been waiting for this king. They want a king. They want a king. They want a king. Well, guess what, Saul? You're the one. You're going to be that king. Now, let's remember, Saul just took off three days ago. He wasn't, see, he wasn't looking to be a king. What was he looking for? Donkeys. That's what he was looking for. That's all he cared about. I need to find these donkeys. And so it shouldn't really come as a surprise to us that in verse 21, when Saul answers, he says, am I not a Benjamite? The least of the tribes of all of Israel and even from within that tribe of Israel is not my clan, the humblest of all those tribes. Why, why are you saying these kinds of things about me? Beloved, this is a genuinely humble response. I'll come back. I'll say more about that in a few moments. But this is a humble response from Saul. Now, I want to skip ahead just a few verses and. Just a little insight in my own heart here. I, 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 I don't like skipping verses when I'm preaching. I like to go because um, it seems to imply that these verses aren't as important. But if, if we really dug into every verse and all that it had, we would be in First Samuel for the next like five or six years. And so I'm going to skip just a little bit ahead right now. Suffice it to say these verses that I'm skipping, Saul is going to have a very important meal with some very important people. He spends the night with Samuel. He gets up the next morning. This is where we pick up in verse 27. Samuel tells Saul, says, let your, let your servant go on ahead of me so that I can do this. And notice this. You might even want to underline it in your Bible. He says that I might share with you the word of God. And then beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10, Samuel anoints Saul with oil. He kisses him. And we have the longest in that, in that lengthy passage that I read. This is the longest single talk in the whole passage. Over 300 words. In verses 1 through 8, and Samuel's doing all the talking, and he's telling Saul, Samuel's telling Saul everything that God had told him to tell Saul. And he starts off with this language about anointing. And I'll say more about that in a moment in the application points. But then Samuel tells Saul, I want you, he says, I want you to be prepared for three, three signs. These three signs are proof positive that what I'm telling you is going to come true. First sign is you're, you're going to bump into these two dudes near Rachel's tomb. And they're going to tell you that the donkeys have been found, but your, your dad's worried about you. Second sign, 
you're going to bump into three guys this time. They're going to have, uh, uh, they're, they're on their way up to Bethel. They're presumably on their way up there to make a sacrifice. They have three goats with them. They have three loaves of bread. They have a skin of wine with them. They're presumably on their way to make a sacrifice. And then finally, he says, Saul, you're going to run into some prophets. And they're going to be playing the harp, the tambourine, the flute, and the lyre. Basically, he's running to a first century praise team. Is who he's running into, okay? Uh, but this praise team, uh, not only playing their instruments, they're prophesying along the way. And he says, when, the, when, when you run into that first century praise team, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you, and you're going to be changed into another man. And then in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 10, we're told that all of those things happen. Just like on the same day, all of those things happen. All right. So this, that's the basic gist of the story. Now what I want to do in our time remaining is, is I have six points. They're all going to be relatively brief, but six points, application points for our lives that, are, that I pray will be a direct, directly come from our text today. Point number one is God sometimes works through unremarkable circumstances. God sometimes works through unremarkable circumstances. That's why I uh, titled today's sermon from, from Donkeys to Kings. You know, when I read this passage, I remember thinking, Donkeys? Really? Who would have thought that donkeys would have played such an important role in Israel finding their first king? Right? Think about that with me. If the donkeys had never been lost, Saul would have never sent his son to find or excuse me, Kish would have never sent his son Saul to find the donkeys. And if, if Saul hadn't been sent to find the donkeys, then he wouldn't have met Samuel. And if he hadn't met Samuel, he never would have been anointed. And so we might say that donkeys are the reason that Saul became the first king of Israel. Now, that, of course, is a tremendous oversimplification. There are a lot of moving parts in the story. But one of those moving parts, and indeed literally moving parts, were these wayward donkeys. And so we might say that they are that this was part of a spectacularly unremarkable event. Spectacularly unremarkable. Donkeys. Donkeys that lead to a king. Yet I want to say to, say to us, beloved, that sometimes God uses unremarkable events, unremarkable circumstances to accomplish His mission. And He still does that today. He still uses unremarkable events to accomplish His mission even today. You know, we're here today, right? Now, with, with the possible exception of maybe just one or two of us today, my guess is that we're all here today as a result of unremarkable events. I mean, we got up, we took a shower, maybe we exercised a bit, we ate a bowl of cereal, Pop-Tart, we get in our car... And, and here we are, right? Most of us, I'm guessing, probably most of us probably didn't hear the audible voice of God this morning saying, go to Potomac Heights Baptist Church and be there. For most of us, our morning has been spectacularly unremarkable. Just a, a, a normal morning. Yet I would argue that God does some of His best work in our lives through unremarkable events. He does some of His best work in our lives when we gather together to worship Him. God shapes us in our gathering together. He shapes us to be more like Jesus. Now, how, you, how does He do that, you might ask? Well, maybe it's in hearing our neighbor enthusiastically sing the truths of Scripture. And as we hear our neighbor sing those loudly, those truths loudly, then we're encouraged 
to believe those truths more deeply. Or maybe it's in hearing something in the message. Maybe there's a particular point of clarity that we see or something we understand that now allows us to follow God more faithfully. Or maybe it's an encouraging conversation that you have before the service or after the service with another individual. That conversation leaves you feeling more connected to that individual. You feel more like a family of God. Or maybe God does His work in our lives as we meditate on what Jesus did for us on the cross when we celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments. Whatever the circumstance, God uses spectacularly unremarkable events in our lives to shape us, to make us a little more like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that those spectacularly unremarkable events are unimportant. On the contrary, they're terribly important, right? I'm just saying that sometimes we expect God to move in these big, earth-shattering ways. And by His grace, He does that from time to time. But far more often in our lives, it's that little still voice. It's that spectacularly unremarkable event in our lives that God uses to make us more like Jesus. That's application point number one. Number two, a wise leader listens. And as I thought about this more, it's not just a wise leader, just a wise person. You can change that to a person. A wise person listens. But a wise leader is a listening leader. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the leader does everything that somebody tells him. But a wise leader is going to listen to somebody and then weigh that advice that's given to him. Listen to these Proverbs. You, you won't have time to turn to all of them, but I'm gonna, I'll give you the address if you're a note taker. You can, you can write down the address. Proverbs 11.14 Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in a, an abundance of counselors, okay, there's listening, counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15.22 Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 27.9 Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And so a wise leader, a wise person is a listening leader or a listening person. By all accounts, Saul would have outranked, if you will, this young man, this servant from his father's household. And yet Saul shows wisdom in listening to him. You remember back up in verse 5 of, of chapter 9, Saul, he's ready to throw in the towel. You know, again, hours have already turned into days. He's tired of looking for these donkeys. He's worried that his dad is going to be worried about him. And so he's ready to throw in the towel. But the young man says, and again, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, you know, before you throw in the towel, Saul, there's a man of God who lives nearby. Maybe, maybe he can help us. Now, the idea is immediately intriguing. We can tell from the story that Saul is intrigued by that idea, but he has some concerns. He doesn't want to just show up without a customary gift for the young man, or excuse me, for the prophet. And so the young man then speaks in again. He says, and by the way, I have some silver. I have, I have something that, can, that we can give to this young, to the, to the prophet. And Saul, again, he weighs that man's advice. And in verse 10, he says, well said. Come, let us go. Beloved, do you have listening ears? Is our natural posture one of, I know what's best for me? Or is our natural posture one of, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. There's wisdom in listening. 
I'm going to close this section with just a few more Proverbs. And I could do this. We could like do a hundred Proverbs like this. Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19:20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 13:10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. There's wisdom in listening. Point number three. God is always on time. God is always on time. None of us knows the number of days the Lord has for us here on earth. I do know um, that unless I live to be an extraordinarily old man, that I'm well past the halfway point of my life. Now, I don't say that in any way to be morbid or anything. That's just a fact, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a reality. It's, I'm okay with that. But here's why, here's why I bring that up. When I was a child, I remember it used to seem like days and weeks and years took forever to pass by, right? You know, waiting for Christmas as a five-year-old took forever. It, it, like, it felt like it took three years for one Christmas to get here when you're five years old. And then as I got older, when I was a freshman in college, uh, you know, grad, when I was a freshman, graduation it was like a pipe dream. It was so far down the road, I didn't have time to think about graduation. That's way down the road. But one day, I got, I got up one day, and guess what? It was there. But as you get older, or at least as I've gotten older, time doesn't seem to pass by as slowly anymore. After all, here, here we are, it's October, right? Where, where has this year gone? In my, in my mind, it, all, I, like, it seems like yesterday was January, and here we are in October. But as I've gotten older as well, my relationship with time has become more precious and my relationship with time has also become more constant. And here, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. I want to live now. I don't want to live in yesterday and I don't want to live in tomorrow. I want to live right now. And that's not to say that I don't think about yesterday and try to learn from yesterday or that I don't think about the future and try to make plans for the future. But I want to live right now. And the reason I want to live right now is because God has shown me in His, and throughout my lifetime, God has shown me He is always right on time. He is always right. So I don't need to worry about yesterday. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. God will take care of that. I need to worry about right now. I've, I've shared this illustration with you before. You know, when God looks at His, see how many of you remember this? When God looks at His wristwatch, what time does He see? Thank you. Now, my wife said that. So that's kind of, so she's heard me say that more, more than anybody. But it says right now. That's what it says. For, God is right now. Now, how does this relate to our story today? In our story today, and barring some from last week as well, the people of Israel, they've been longing for this king. You know, in my mind, I can imagine that they're, they're somewhat anxious for this king. They, you know, they didn't want Samuel's sons. They, they were a train wreck. They were awful men. They wanted this king. And, and what happens to us when we want something so bad? We begin thinking about it all the time, right? We just begin thinking about it. We begin dwelling on it. You know, when is this going to happen? When is it going to get here? I wonder who the king's going to be. Is the king going to like me? Will I be invited to his palace? All of these things you begin to wonder. And the more we fixate on an event, the more it seems like it's forever for that time to get here. That's the five-year-old waiting for Christmas, right? Because they're fixated on Christmas. It takes forever to get there. But notice this right in the middle of our story today. One day, God tells Samuel that a young man from the tribe of Benjamin is going to be stopping by. He's going to be stopping by. And then the very next day, there he is. Here's my point. 
The people of God are so anxious about having a king. But they're not going to have a king not one day before nor one day after God is ready for them to have a king. All along the way, God is sovereignly working out His plan. God is right on time. Beloved, I wonder what you're anxious about. Are you anxious maybe about a career change or a job change? Are you anxious about the salvation of a friend or family member? Are you anxious about a medical diagnosis perhaps? Maybe you're anxious about where you want to go to college. Now those are, those are things that we should be concerned about. Those are things that we should pray about. And we should faithfully follow God and, and do whatever God asks us to do in pursuing those things. But we also need to remember that God is always on time. When a decision doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out, that's okay. Because God is still at work in us. He's still molding us. He's still shaping us. And He's going to accomplish everything He has for us in our lives. That's not again to say that we're passive and we just sit back in our, in our bark lounger and wait for those things to happen. But God is at work. And He will accomplish everything right on time. Point number four. Humility is a valuable asset. Later in 1 Samuel, as we make our way through this book, we're going to see some times in Saul's life after he became king when he didn't act very humbly. But here at this point in his life, before he becomes king, he shows remarkable humility. Samuel tells Saul in verse 20 that he's the man for whom all Israel has been waiting now, let, let that sink in for just a moment. I mean, we might read that and we go, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. But that's a big statement. That's a heavy statement. Imagine you go out to eat someplace for lunch today and somebody comes in that you believe to be, this is a godly man or a godly woman, and this is somebody I trust. Their, their opinion means a lot to me. And they look you in the eye and they say, you and your family, you and your family are the focus of all the hopes of the United States of America on you <laughs> now if you would answer that person with a smug yeah i know <laughs> let me just say the obvious you need to work on you your humility a bit right if, if that's how you would answer humility is a classic christian characteristic as opposed to pride or the lack of humility pride is the foundation of almost all sinful behavior pride is saying i know better than even god knows Pride is saying, I want to do what I want to do, even though God tells me otherwise. Listen to these scriptures about the importance of humility. Again, you won't have time to turn to all of them. If you're a note taker, I'll give you the address. Colossians 3.12 Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Ephesians 4.2 With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I can go on and on and on with scriptures about the importance of humility. Humility is a valuable asset. But humility is also tricky, isn't it? 
You know, because when you, the, fir- the first moment you begin thinking, yeah, I'm a pretty humble person. <laughs> that, that really says just the opposite, doesn't it? It really speaks toward your pride. And so here's an exercise. Ask somebody you know and trust. Somebody who knows you. Ask them, do you think I'm a humble person? But be ready for their answer. Okay? Don't ask them that thinking, well, this person certainly, they're going to they're gonna tell me what I want to fill yourself. You know, be re- sit down, buckle up, be ready for their answer. Humility is a valuable asset. Point number five. God makes leaders. You know, Samuel may have been the one who physically anointed Saul. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 10. And he's the one that pours oil over him. But God is actually the one who makes leaders. We see that in at least two places in our passage. In the last verse of chapter 9, verse 27, it says, As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before you. And when he had passed on, Stop there, stop here yourself for a while. He says, That I may share to you, or may make known to you, the word of God. Do you, you see what Samuel's saying there? He wants the servant to go on ahead so that Samuel can share the Word of God. Everything that Samuel is about to do, everything he's about to say, isn't really from Samuel, it's from God. And yes, yes, Samuel is the one who's pouring out the oil on Saul. That's an anointing. But Samuel isn't the one who anointed them. We, We see that right there. Look in chapter 10. In verse 1, Samuel says, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince? over his people Israel. And so, yes, Samuel's the one doing the pouring of the oil, but ultimately God is doing the anointing. Later in 1 Samuel, we, we, if you're familiar with the story of David at all, you know David, Saul really doesn't like David. He's, he's jealous of him. And uh, Saul tries to kill David on multiple occasions, but on two specific occasions, David has an opportunity to kill Saul. David's fighting him and even say, you, you, now's your chance, take this chance. And on both occasions, David responds that he is not going to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. You see, David didn't think of Saul as Samuel's anointed. David saw Saul as the Lord's anointed. Whatever the great leader might be in the Bible, whether it's Moses, David, Peter, Paul, God made every one of them. God makes leaders. And our final point. God sometimes works through remarkable circumstances. You know, I started our application by stressing that he uses spectacularly unremarkable circumstances to accomplish his will. But yes, he also works through remarkable circumstances. And I'm going to highlight just one such remarkable circumstance. We're told in verse 6 of chapter 10 that God is going to allow the Spirit of the Lord to rush upon Saul. And this is going to result in Saul becoming a new, another man. A new man, if you will. Then later in chapter 10, we learn that it's exactly what happens. The Spirit of the Lord does indeed rush upon Saul, and Saul is able to prophesy just like all the other prophets. It made such a difference in Saul's life that the people that knew Saul beforehand, they were like, what has become of the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? You see, Saul was another man. He was a new man. The people didn't recognize him. I mean, they knew who he was physically. They're like, this looks like Saul, but look what he's doing. This is not the Saul that I know. He's acting differently. He's another man. 
the Spirit of the Lord had rushed upon him. Now, just a, a very, very brief word about how the Spirit works in the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit works sporadically in the lives of God's people. It doesn't like you don't. We don't read about the Spirit working in the lives of every individual in the Old Testament, but selected individuals who are trying to accomplish God's purpose. In the New Testament, however, the presence of the Spirit is on everybody who believes in Christ. And so God is using this remarkable event in Saul's life so that he can carry out his divinely appointed mission. For us, here on this side of the cross, if you will, God has given us the remarkable gift of the Spirit so that we can have power to be His witnesses, for example, to the ends of the earth. When we receive Jesus, we're given the Spirit And that Spirit makes us into new men and new women. The old has passed away, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. The old has passed away, excuse me, 2 Corinthians. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so, friends, let me just ask you. you Saul, in this day, he becomes a new man, another man. Are you the same person you were born now, in one sense, you are. You say, yeah, I'm, you know, my parents gave birth to a baby boy and they named him Brian, and so that's still who I am today. I'm still Brian. But in another more important sense, in a more theological sense, I'm a different man today than I was then. Not because of anything I've done, but because of the work of the Spirit of God in my life. Are you a new person today? Has Jesus made you a new person as His Spirit has worked in your life. I pray that He has. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, Lord, I thank You for our time together and thank You for our opportunity now to to hear Your Word proclaimed. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that even in the hearing of Your Word, that Your Spirit would work in and among us. Lord, I thank You for the new birth that You give us as Christians. Saul became another man. It was an unusual thing in the Old Testament to become a new person, another man. For us, it's a remarkable event as You gift us Your Spirit. But Father, it's something that happens to all true believers in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that today, even if there's one person today who's never trusted in Christ, Lord, that today they would understand and realize what Jesus has done for them. That Jesus has made a relationship with God possible that our sin had destroyed. And by trusting in Jesus, we can have new life. Lord, thank You for that. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way 
without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.